Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Um, this week, I am just blown away by this week's guest. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk with adventurer Ray Zahab. Um, we'll, we'll talk all about you know these expeditions that he's been on, but he's basically crossed most of the major deserts in the world, uh, including a 111 day run across the Sahara Desert uh, from the western side of Africa to Cairo in Egypt. Um, it was part of the film Running the Sahara. If you ever want to watch one of the best adventure films out there, uh, hands down, if you want to get an idea of like what it takes to put on a multi day in this case, multi-month expedition, um, definitely check that out. But Ray has actually been on my, I have a little list and it's called dream guests for the podcast. (laughs) And since day one, Ray has been on that list. Uh, I think I, when I first envisioned like, who do I want to talk to for this podcast? You know, I, I made a list of names. Um, and some names were people that I was like, Oh yeah, like, you know, those are my my friends or people I could probably will definitely do the show. And then there were other people I was like, wow, like, wouldn't this be cool if someday I could sit down and talk with, with this person. And Ray was one of those people. And I think I heard him, I heard an interview with him on something right when I was becoming an ultra runner. And it was just so inspiring uh, to envision somebody spending, you know, months, running (laughs) months running in an expedition just expanded my mind to what is actually human humanly possible and I think that's something that's really cool especially after sitting down and talking with him he's very passionate about this and it's all driven by passion it's driven by this pursuit of adventure and exploration and and not only that but sharing the process he founded an organization called Impossible to Possible, which is out there inspiring and educating youth through adventure learning. Uh, he basically includes classrooms uh, along every expedition. And not only that, he'll talk about it in the show, but he, he takes young people along on some of these expeditions and they help him kind of create the curriculum that he's sending out to the classrooms. And for someone who's, you know, when I look at my core values and the the reason why, like when I look at my why for even doing this show every week, it's all about spreading goodness. And, and the best way I could find it, find how to spread goodness is by sharing these adventures because I know for me what adventure, what exploration, what being in the wilderness has meant to me and... And I really connect with Ray because I feel like he has that same core value. You know, let's let's spread goodness through my community, through the world um, by by taking these adventures on and showing people just how vast the world actually is. And, you know, the beauty that can be found just by getting yourself out there, getting yourself out into the world. Um, And I I really respect that about him. So let's get right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 241 with Ray Zahab. (laughs) 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have an adventurer, uh, someone who I've been wanting to chat with for a long, long time, probably since I started the podcast, actually, Ray. Um, so I'm so excited to have you on. So today we're, we're talking with uh, Ray Zahab, and Ray has ran completely across some of the biggest deserts in the world. Uh, you've taken on like the harshest environments out there in these giant like multi-day slash multi-month expeditions. So, so yeah, man, I'm super pumped to have you on. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm stoked to be here too and a uh, fan of the podcast. So yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Yeah. Well, it's funny, man. Like I, I think when I first started kind of getting into ultra running, I think I heard an interview with you uh, on like ultra runner podcast or something like that. And ever since that day, it was before I even started the podcast. I'm like, dude, I would love to like sit down and chat with that guy. Oh, right on. Like, that's a huge compliment. Thank you so much. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long, crazy journey. So, um, you know, and and, and it's great to meet people, you know, so, you know, you're getting into the running and you're doing these ultra marathons and you're developing a passion for it. And I think what's so, so awesome about trail running and ultra running in 2020 and 2021 is that there's, it's grown so much, right? I mean, since I started racing, I started racing ultra marathons in 2004, 2005. And the difference in, you know, scale of what you hear about ultras and how big it is now, the scene, I guess you could say, is pretty awesome. You know, now, obviously, I, I train full time for expeditions. And so I don't, I, I don't get to go to as, to as many of the races my wife uh, Kathy races in the 200 mile races and stuff like that. And so I go and I get to see people racing and, and all that jazz, but and where I live in Quebec, uh, the scene is really big. There's tons of races. So I get to go and meet with people and hang out with people. And we promote our charity impossible to possible sometimes at the races, but I get so focused on my own expeditions now that, you know, I'm using ultra running as a way and means to train for exploration, but I'm not, per se ultra running if that makes a sense yeah you know yeah it almost is like what you're doing is a different kind of like arm of the sport of ultra running i guess yeah i mean you know it's it, it's it's much different for sure than when than when i was doing the races and i and i actually host a series of races in the national park where i live in gatineau park where i live and um everything ranging from uh, we have a 6 12 24 hour uh, race on a closed loop. You do as many loops as you can in that amount of time. And, the, and it, and it crosses, um, cross country mountain bike trails and downhill mountain bike trails. So it's like tons of elevation. And so I get to, you know, I'm part of that scene. And then we have a, a hundred K we had a stage race at one point, we have a hundred K a hundred miler. And, uh, this was of, of course all pre COVID and, um, it's great to, you know, still be sort of involved in that branch of ultra running. But yes, my expeditions themselves are, you know, sometimes on skis, you know, yeah. uh, in the case of some of the Arctic projects or most times on foot, sometimes on fat bikes, you know, it just depends on the expedition and what it is that I'm trying to do. But one thing is for certain, the expeditions are long and they're obviously pretty hard and they're point A to point B, like they're specific geographic crossings. And I've always found the best way for me to be able to do that and, and visit extraordinary places is on foot. And so I continue to run 
you know, and train as if I'm doing, uh, you know, a hundred miler kind of yeah. thing, you know, even though it could be thousands of kilometers that I'm running. So, yeah, that's amazing. Before we really dive, I want to hear a little bit about how you got into all that, but I have to ask, you mentioned your wife doing 200 mile races now. Uh, did you play a role in getting her interested in that or is that, or was she an ultra runner when you guys met? No, when I, when we met, she was a runner and she was running like road races. And then we live, um, right on the edge of Gatineau park in Chelsea, Quebec, which is like a, a Mecca for outdoor sport. It's a, like a four season outdoor community. There's, there's <laughs> multiple places to go cross country and downhill mountain biking in the summer trail running single track is like right at our doorstep you get great elevation and then the cross-country skiing scene here is world-class in the winter and there's tons of downhill skiing as well so you know it just was that kind of place and so you're living there you kind of get into it so she got into trail running and then one thing led to another and then she did i think she started with a 50k then did a 50 miler then a 100 miler and then i don't know how she decided that she was going to do a 200 mile race but she decided that she would try bigfoot Oh, no 200 way. and and loved it and said this is i want to do all the races now and so she did bigfoot <laughs> then she did tahoe the next year and then the year after that she did uh moab and and you know she she's done great she's finished second at moab no way so that's just, incredible she just loves it yeah, yeah she loves it and she's full like you know obviously you know full-time job and she's an environmental consultant and a consultant in the gender equity space as well and then um you know, and, and we have two daughters that are busy in their own endurance sports. They're, they're cross-country skiers, trail runners, paddlers. And so they're all doing their thing. So it's a very busy family. Yeah. Right? And yeah. So, you know, just, you know, it's like taking it on kind of thing, but we love it. And, and it's really part of a, it's a fabric of who we are as a family is, um, you know, foundationally is, is trail running. We get out together, especially during COVID we've been getting out together and trail running together. And, you know, the girls will help construct a route or set the distance it could be a 15k or a 20k and we go out and we we've been doing these adventures together which has been awesome you that's know? so cool that's so cool I because i've gone off on a tangent here no right man now. i yeah. i love that i'm a dad as well and i just think like it's just funny like the trail runs I've been on, especially the long ones where you meet just kind of a random stranger. And then by the end of the run, you're like, we're best friends forever now, you know, like you form <laughs> yeah. that bond. And I'm like, man, to do that with your wife and to do that with your kids, like that has to form this really solid bond, you know, between you guys, between all of you, because you've seen beautiful places, you've been through low moments and, and all of that. Yeah. And I mean, I think the thing is too, with the kids, it's like, you know, any parent will tell you like there's good days and bad, like there's meltdowns and then they're, cause you know, they're, they're uh, 12 and nine years old. So you'll have meltdowns, you'll have great days. You'll have, you don't know what you're going to get. And so yeah. it's, it's sort of adapting to that while you're out there. And sometimes, you know, meltdowns go away. And I mean, the meltdowns are much more infrequent, the older they get, but you know, the, it's really about encouraging them to love the outdoors without pressuring them. Yeah, You know, and, and, you know, letting them define the things that they want to do. Like my oldest daughter um, is, is really big into flat water paddling K one flat water. And it's like, really, she's the only one in the family that's doing it. Right. And then my younger daughter, you know, really loves in the, in the summer, the trail running scene and put in tons of miles with me last year to improve for her ski races, which didn't end up happening because of COVID this year. Yeah. But 
you know, it's letting them define what it is and find their passions in the outdoors, which I think fostering that in young people, if, if we have the ability to do it as, is an awesome thing for them. You know, yeah, I totally agree, man. That's, that's so cool. And I'm glad we talked, like, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that just because, you know, when, when you're planning like a big expedition, what, what are your kids reactions at this point? Are they just like, okay, cool. <laughs> you're like, Hey, I'm going well, to the South pole real quick. They're like, okay, cool dad. <laughs> or like, what, yeah, well, what it, well like? you know what? I, honestly, that's not that far from reality. <laughs> I mean, what I do is like, it's my job, right? Exploration yeah. is my job. And so to them, it's just, that's what dad does kind of thing. That's, that's my job. And our house is not adorned with uh, world record certificates on the walls and uh, all this stuff, magazine covers, whatever. None of that is important. It's all tucked away. Uh, in a filing cabinet. And if they want to look at that stuff at some point, well, they know which drawer it's all in. And so they can go look at all that stuff. Instead in the house, we try to foster an environment that's, that's more about what they're accomplishing and doing. So, you know, the other thing too, is I have a unique perspective because, you know, as you know, because I know that you know this about me is that I didn't really start anything in the outdoors, like of, of like, you know, a competitive nature until I was 30. So I was 30 and before that I was like, you know, I'm not a healthy guy. Like a lot of people come from that, but you know, smoking a pack a day, two packs of cigarettes a day and, you know, drinking way too much and partying way too much and doing the things that a lot of us did of my generation, especially, but um, you know, it was, um, and I, and I grew up in the countryside. I grew up on a small, you know, on a hobby farm in the country, very small town. So you're outside a lot, but you just, it wasn't a thing. Right. And, and it, you know, I just wasn't sports was hockey and football and baseball. And those were all things that I just did not gravitate towards. So I really wasn't a sporty kid growing up. So to be in my late twenties, going into my early thirties and deciding that I just was no longer satisfied with life and I wanted to change. And I, you know, just wanted to be happy. Um, Cause I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't really been a finisher or a completer of things, you know, in, for the first 30 years of my life. Like I barely got out of high school and, you know, didn't complete my studies at community college and just, you know, I was just was really never goal oriented and, you know, it's the exact opposite now. Yeah. And I found all of that through adventure, right? Simply through wanting to find passion in my life. I followed my brother's footsteps into the outdoors who was like, big time ice climber and rock climber and, and a paddler and <clears throat> mountain biker. And like, he did all the outdoor sports that we love. And um, before it was like, I mean, obviously people were doing these things, but this was like the late nineties. Right. Yeah. It's a different time. And it wasn't like you were on Instagram looking at photos <laughs> of yeah. mountain bikers, you know, like he was out there doing it cause he, he just loved to do it. And uh, we started adventure racing together and climbing together. And I just totally turned my, my life changed 180 degrees when I started doing these things. And I discovered that I had an endurance engine that was similar to his to do things. And within a few short years, I was racing mountain bikes um, all over. I raced in, uh, did stage racing in Europe, did, uh, you know, 24 hour um, solos. I was doing all kinds of mountain bike racing and adventure racing. And then I transitioned into into ultra running actually my very first running race was a hundred mile running race in the yukon and um oh in the yukon like yeah. in the yukon the yukon, yeah, the yukon arctic ultra the hundred miler and and i won it and it, i mean listen it's not 
a huge field like at uh, you know any one of these other big hundred mile races. But you know, nonetheless, to win something like that, athletic, I'd never won anything like that in my entire life. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden, you know, to 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 be number one, I will be perfectly honest with you, felt amazing. Like it yeah. felt incredible, and I just could not believe that I did it. And I, I was sure that I must have made a mistake. Like there's no way I could, I was capable of winning something like this <laughs> anyhow. And then one step leads to another. And, you know, I started doing these races and I was, I was going from one ultra to the next, not to, um, you know, just prove that I could win another race or whatever, but it was because I was learning so much about myself through running it just was, it was like an epiphany every time. And it was really something else. And then, and then of course we ran across the Sahara and then that changed everything I gained. Right. Yeah, so that was, yeah. Well, can you come like, take us back real quick to the moment? Like, I'm just trying to get in the mindset of someone who makes a decision to go on a different path, right? Like you were on one path and of, you know, unhealthy decisions. And then at some point you made up your mind where you're like, that's not going to be what I do anymore. And now I'm going to do this other thing. Like, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Or was it something that was just like super gradual? Like, you know, sorry, going from doing like, you know, like being unhealthy to healthy guy. You mean, is that what you mean? Yeah. Like the mind, the moment you're like, okay, I'm going to stop smoking a pack a day, mm. you know, I'm going to stop yeah. partying stuff like that. You know, it, I think we live in a time where, there are true definitions and boundaries and timelines and everything is succinct. And, you know, in the time when this, this happened, when I first started sort of saying to myself, okay, I am genuinely an unhappy person. That was like 97, 96, 97. And I, you know, it was just like a, it was like a uh, sort of like a sickness almost. Like I was just so sick and tired. Yeah, you know, of being the life of the party, but then inside being this very unhappy person, and I um, just decided that uh, something had to give, you know. And and that's it's a story that I've told many times. Is it, that I, you know, my brother was already doing these things, and he was a very inspiring guy. He had gone through a life trans transformation of his own, and he was doing these things, and he was getting fit, and he was getting confident. And he was learning new things. And it wasn't about like making a million bucks or doing anything like that. It was like just just seriously, as corny as it sounds, wanting to be fulfilled yeah. and satisfied and happy. So it was a process. It took like three years, right? So I because I loved smoking cigarettes. Like I just I loved partying, I loved drinking beer, and I loved smoking. And so giving those things up was the price to be able to do the things that he did basically not like I know you don't have to give up drinking beer that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying for me personally because the, the the difficult things that we go through in life are very relative to us as individuals like you can't compare necessarily your experience to what you experience and what your reality is to someone else's and if you try to explain your reality as accurately as possible to someone else you're still going to be missing something so for me, I knew for me personally, maybe not for the person next door, but for me, I had to stop all the things I was doing in order to pursue the things that I wanted to, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like great things that you'll achieve in your life are very relative as an individual. Like there are touch points in your life that 
when you do something that you're really proud of that are very meaningful to you that may not mean something to someone else. Those are relative as well. An interesting case in point, I had somebody, well, a lot of people asked me after the running the Sahara expedition, which was 4,500 miles or 7,500 kilometers, roughly 111 days, coast to coast across the Sahara. And someone asked me, or many people have asked me this over the years, but someone recently, what it felt like to like, you know, reach the Red Sea, like what was my thought, like the, the overarching thought or emotion about it. And, and I said, you know, I have to tell you, it was exactly the same feeling I had when before the Yukon Arctic Ultra, I went running with a buddy of mine in another place that I used to live in Chelsea. And I had a seven kilometer road loop. And I, had, I, I was in amazing shape from all the mountain bike racing I was doing and adventure racing, like really good shape, but I wasn't a runner. And I had gone out for a handful of runs in preparation and I just found it really hard to consistently run without having to take a few walk breaks. Right. Yeah. And he assured me he was going to show me some tips and help me out with my technique and da 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 da. You know, we were going to do this run. And I remember that day running seven kilometers without actually having to sort of take a stretch break or run a, a walk break and how, unbelievably satisfying and fulfilling it was to do that that's exactly how i felt when we reached the red sea like they were they were exactly the same emotion of accomplishment <laughs> wow right and so i think that anything that we do it's very hard to describe the process necessarily you can describe the process but to internalize it and really know what it feels like is very unique to an individual yeah and so i've always been amazed with people that i'm equally impressed with people that are doing these incredible feats of endurance in ultra running right now. The speed at which these people are running is crazy. Yeah. You know, um, Jim Walmsley, I mean, just watching what he does is extraordinary or, or um, any, any one of the, the, the great ultra runners that I, which of course I'm drawing blanks right now, but um, uh, you know, just to see what they can do. And, but then again, at the same time, seeing people who are getting into these things and um, Courtney DeWalter was the other one I was going to mention. Oh, yeah. Seeing She's these other, see, it's just incredible, right? Seeing these people go out and do these things for the first time and they cross the finish line of, you know, an Ironman in 18 hours. It's so impressive to me because it, they, they're so driven to stay out there for 18 hours. Yeah. It's, that's know, my favorite part of this sport yeah. is you you witness everybody you know at the finish line and it, and the people who are incredibly fast that's mind blowing and that's so you know impressive and stuff but then you also see basically anybody cuz you're all like we all went through the same trail it was the same distance for all of us we all had our own journey and ups and downs along the way and it's just impressive to watch someone push through a difficult moment and like you said it it totally is uh, subjective for everybody you know yeah, I, it totally is. And I think that that person who finishes, you know, last and the person who finishes first, they, they share a common sense of accomplishment. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a different experience. Yeah. But still, they've both done something that's meaningful to them. Yeah. Right? I, so, 
I wanted to ask you about when you get done with something like running across the whole entire Sahara desert, which by the way, if you haven't seen the film, like it's one of the best ultra running. I mean, it's one of the best adventure documentaries out there, hands down. Like it's fantastic. It shows all the ups and downs and, and what it takes to really put on an expedition and some factors that you wouldn't even fully consider unless you were actually there, you know, like you have to consider everybody, not just the people running, the race, but like you have this whole crew with you and that was really interesting. But I was just wondering, like, do you have some sort of process to like afterwards, after an expedition to kind of like internalize the lessons? And if so, like, what do you do to kind of take some time to really process like, oh yeah, what, what I, what did I go through out there and how is it going to affect my life? Well, no, I, you know, it's sort of more, it's less dramatic, I would say. It's kind of yeah. like it happens in real time. Like I'm experiencing the things, like when I ran across the Gobi, I did that solo in summer 2013, limited resupplies. So most of my expeditions, desert expeditions, when I'm running across the deserts, I try to run across them in the summer. And I try to go as far as I can without resupplies because I love the aspect of navigation. I love, of, I love being cross country. I love being in super remote places where very few or if anyone's been, right? And so I love experiencing that and being able to capture it and then, and then through a live website, share it with, with schools who are following along, et cetera. And then the resupply points, which are typically every 20 to 50 kilometers, I'll meet up with a crew and then, you know, which is fairly minimal and nimble. And they, sometimes it takes them hours to get to where I'm going because I'm, off roads, right? They got to find a way. We spend years sometimes mapping these routes so we could figure out access points where a yeah. four wheel drive could actually get to. At any rate, um, being in places like, you know, Mongolia, for example, and then I remember this one experience where I was out in the middle of nowhere, like in this plateau, and I was probably 15 kilometers from a resupply and um, navigating. And I've been out for, oh, hours on my own, coming out of some mountains, out of a valley. Look, I've been to a valley up over a very small group of mountains through a little pass. And then I was coming back down again. I was on this plateau and I could see forever. And in front of me, way, way, way off in the distance, I could see a cowboy, right? And they were like riding this horse. And you could see like a little plume of dust behind the horse, right? As it's like racing across this region of the desert, which was kind of a grassy, scrubby area of the Gobi. And so as I'm running and I'm watching this person forever, because you can see forever in the desert, especially at elevation, and I'm running and I'm running and I'm, running, I'm realizing that our trajectory, like we're going to meet up. Like we're <laughs> like, we're deadheading yeah. towards one another. Right. And so we run into it. And, and as the cowboy got closer, I realized it wasn't a cowboy. It was a cowgirl and, you know, this lady and she's on this, on this horse. And we're just kind of both standing there. Like she's sitting there on the horse and I'm standing there and we're looking at each other. And she said, what are you doing out here? <laughs> and I said, how do you speak English? You know, because there was very <laughs> few people that I had met that spoke English yeah. in that region. This was in a very remote part of the Gobi desert, more in the Southern end. And she said, well, I went to school in the UK and, and I came back home to take care of my family's livestock. They were semi-nomadic. They lived in two different regions of Mongolia, depending on the season. 
And she said, I've come to take care of my family's farm, basically, right? Or farms, uh, lands, you know? And we had this amazing conversation. And I was just so blown away. But it was the love of the lifestyle in the Gobi Desert that drew her back from a much more urban uh, and modern, if you will, or, or Western or whatever you want to call it, however you would define it, life that she was living in the UK, she came home, right, to this amazing and beautiful and still wild place yeah. to be because she missed the land and her family, obviously, and everything else that, that comes with. And a sense of knowing one's environment and being so in tune with one's environment in ways that we could never imagine, right? And so it was like that chance encounter that just kind of happened to them, and that stuck with me yeah. during the expedition. So that wasn't something I thought about after. It happened in real time. That makes you know? sense. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, what is it, like if you had to pinpoint something that draws you to the desert, you know, what, what is it? Cause I've done a couple of races in the desert as well. Um, and it, there's just something about it that it's hard really, really to explain, even though I'm asking you to explain, which is hilarious, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's hard to explain, but there's just something like special and like spiritual almost about that environment. What, what is well, it to you? Know, you? I, like what I, I, draws I you tell to you, it? Well, I, you know, I tell you, there's very few expeditions that I have done or places that I've had, had the opportunity to go to multiple times, but you know, the exact opposite in, in the Canadian Arctic, Baffin Island, I've crossed it nine times, right? In the Canadian yeah. Arctic. I've done numerous Arctic expeditions. I find myself drawn to the Canadian Arctic uh, on winter expeditions. And I can tell you, I don't like the cold that much. And I go <laughs> and I do winter, I do Arctic expeditions in the winter. I've been to Siberia a number of times in winter on expeditions. So, you know, it, it kind of holds true in various environments, but there are certain places that have that draw. And, and I, and I'll give you like, there is a thing about the deserts. Like when I crossed the Atacama, which arguably out of, you know, I don't know, 15 major expeditions that I've done crossing the Atacama desert, North to South, middle of summer, 1200 kilometers. So roughly 800 miles. Uh, that was arguably one of the most difficult things I've ever done. I, I would have my daily supplies with me, minimal water resupplies, blistering hot, like Death Valley hot every day and exceedingly dry it was the driest place on earth actually and um but there was in it's in a place where absolutely nothing lives dude like or now i think they've discovered that maybe it's bacteria or whatever live in this one area of the Atacama yeah. desert but there's a vast section of it where nothing lives and nothing actually smells like something it kind of smells like cardboard <laughs> and so being in this place that you would think has nothing has so much Right, it's a, it is, it's a very beautiful and mysterious place. The other place I get that, so a guy, uh, American ultra runner named Will Laughlin and I did a north to south, completely off-road crossing of Death Valley National Park in August, 2011. So we went north to south off-road in 2011. And then in summer, July, 2019, we went west to east, completely off-road over the Panaman Range and the Amargosa Ranges, crossing through the middle of Death Valley. And Death Valley is a very mysterious place. There's something that dry every time. Dude, it beats the living daylights out of me. It's so <laughs> hot. Yeah. It is so crazy. And in the middle of Death Valley, it's humid too. There's water down there, you know? And I um, say to myself, I'm never coming back here. 
ever coming back here ever, ever, ever again. And I go yeah. back. Right. So there is something about it that's, um, you know, amazing and, and mystical, if you will. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I love being in these places, desert, summer, Arctic regions, winter, if I can. And I go to both regions at different seasons, but main expeditions in those times, because I want to share with the students and schools who are following along a window or a snapshot of a desert when it's its most deserty or the Arctic when it's its most Arctic-y. Like the photo of a sky in the Arctic when it, the winds are going off and it's 65 below. I mean, that what it looks like in perpetual dusk with the sun never getting but a few inches above the horizon, like what that looks like and being able to share that with students who, you know, will, may never ever in their lifetimes go to see the Arctic, I think is, is um, it's, it's one of my goals. And then further to that, and I know you're going to ask me about this, but you know, supporting the mission of our, of our charity impossible to possible, yeah. which is all about taking young people on their own expeditions around the world. And, and my expeditions support those expeditions to keep them free. So when we take young people on expeditions, it's, it's zero cost to wow. do it. And, and I'm a volunteer, we're all volunteers in the organization. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, a passion that extends beyond me being able to go from A to B, if you will, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, I love the idea of your impossible to possible. And I actually think that was when I first heard you interviewed, I think that was kind of the main thing you were talking about. And as a teacher and as a parent of, you know, young, young daughters, like, I just think that idea of exposing kids to an expedition like that is a real life experience that is going to they're going to carry with them the rest of their lives and like the lessons they get from that are just so just incredibly like almost you can't even put into words how important those experiences probably are to those kids oh absolutely i mean you know we've had Oh gosh, uh, expeditions to the Amazon jungle in Peru and Brazil. And when I say Amazon, I mean central, central Amazon, um, deep, deep Amazon. On those expeditions, we would hike, uh, or our youth ambassadors would hike and trek with all their gear, all their supplies from one indigenous community to the next. And they would teach a subject of biodiversity while, while being on the expedition. So we have like tens of thousands of students from schools all over the world patched in or being in a place like Rajasthan teaching access to healthcare or being in, um, oh my goodness, Tunisia talking about clean water. So every expedition that our youth ambassadors go on is, is combined with a relevant educational program, making it even more meaningful to the to the youth that are on these expeditions. Yeah. So they're running and they're running and trekking on these expeditions, but it's more than an adventure. They have a responsibility to help compile and create a curriculum so that students around the world can learn from the adventure, that the adventure becomes a thread of learning and teaching. And um, yeah, the educational programs are quite robust. We, but we change it every time too. We change it every, every single time. We had a couple of expeditions planned uh, last year, but due to COVID, obviously they were postponed and we're, we don't know what's going to happen this year. We're hoping that we can pull them off. Uh, they'll be focused in North America, um, in some of, uh, sort of the lesser known national parks in the United States and Canada and, and giving youth an opportunity to tap into our youth by 
being in these places and discovering the adventure in their backyard, right? So that's that'll be some of the projects that are upcoming that we wanted to do in the past, but you never know, right? I mean, yeah. it, nowadays we're hoping that we can go. Yeah. I, I just love the idea that you're just out there spreading goodness. And then, you know, that ripple effect that you're creating by, by doing these and starting impossible to possible and things like that. Yeah, I appreciate that. But you know, I think so many people are doing so many amazing things. I think it's a collective, right? Yeah. It's a global, it's almost like a global collective. Look at you're a teacher and your impact as a teacher is huge. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that I get to meet a lot of teachers. I've worked with a lot of the Apple distinguished educators with Apple education and like some of these teachers, it's mind blowing how stoked they are to teach. And I love it, man. It doesn't even feel like a job. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Cause you love, you're one of these people that loves what you do. And so your job is your passion. And so to help, to be able to create resources that you can use as much of or as little as you want, depending on how jam-packed your uh, teaching cycle is, you know, and it's cost-free, you know, that's what we love. We love being able to connect with great teachers that are hugely changing the world because those kids that are leaving your classroom are forever going to be impacted. You know what it's like. You remember your favorite teacher, right? From when you were little, you just remember them. It's scary as a teacher. You either remember your favorite teacher or your least favorite teacher. And you're like, oh man, I hope I'm remembered for a good reason. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to ask you one more question. uh, Just because I'm I'm pretty interested. Like, um, So there has to be moments during these expeditions where you get into like a deep dark place uh you guys were pretty forthcoming about those moments uh especially during the uh running across the sahara documentary um do you do you consciously like have any strategies that you use to like dig yourself out of those moments well i mean i think the biggest one would be that i remind especially if i'm alone like i said i've done solo expeditions then of course I do expeditions with with other people right and just depends on the expedition um you know I remind myself that I chose to do the expedition you know and that that's sort of been more in the last probably 10 10 trips that I've done where I'm really like focused on if there is those hard times when they arise I'm like okay listen dude (laughs) you chose to be out here right (laughs) so like it comes down to a very basic um question and answer and it's like are you going to continue going or are you going to stop yeah and it doesn't matter what the reason is for stopping it's just are you going to stop I mean, that's yeah. like distill it right down and and if i do decide to stop then i have to you know i i'll go through that process of determining you know exactly why it is i stopped and what can i do to fix it so that i can get back out the next day whatever right um it could be a storm it could be an injury it could be anything but you find a strategy in a way around it and, and, and it's, uh, you know, I, I chose to be out there. I chose to go on this adventure. I'm going to do the very best I can unless something stops me, you know? Yeah. No, that's amazing, man. Well, Ray, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. Um, is there any way, like, where can people kind of like follow along your journey or support impossible to possible? Well, you know what? It, 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 great. I, I have a website, just my name, rayzahab.com. And then I'm on social media, as everyone is these days. And I do have a, a public Facebook page. Uh, there's a little blue check beside my name on my Facebook page. I do use that one. 
I don't use any other other any of my other pages and then I have an Instagram page as well nice and um, I've been posting on that one mostly recently I guess you could say in the last two years or so three years so I'm in those two places I'm on all the all the platforms but through my website you can find links to the to the charity as well Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, we'll be rooting you on, on whatever next, you know, whatever your next adventure expedition is. Thank you so much. And, you know, I hope that I can come back on, you know? After yeah, the- man, yeah. dude, I'd love to have Kathy on too. hear about those 200 milers. Let's do it. <laughs> That'd be Let's awesome. Set it up. All right, ladies and gents, that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, thank you so much, Ray, for coming on, spending some time with me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you again in the future uh, and following along with your adventures. Like, dude, you're an inspiration and I'm very, very uh, honored that you would come on, come on my podcast. So, um, yeah, a couple of things he was talking about. I love the mindset of you signed up for this. <laughs> it's so true. It's such a powerful tool. You know, if you're in these moments where you're beat up, you're tired, you're blistered, you're achy, everything hurts, right? You're like crying over the next step. Um, When you remind yourself like, dude, no one is making you do this but yourself and you signed up for it. I think it actually like transports you, your mind back to that moment you signed up, you know, where you're sitting on the couch and you're all excited and you're showered probably and you smell better than you do during the the adventure you know but uh you're like fresh right and you're sign you're like i should do this thing and there's there's nothing but you know hope in your eyes right you're like you're hopeful you're like this is going to be amazing you're optimistic you're so excited and you sign up And if you take yourself to that moment where you are that optimistic person, you know, and you're like, this is why I signed up for this because I thought it would be really interesting or fun or I thought it would allow me to explore this beautiful place in a really unique way. Or uh, like Ray, you're you're able to be like, hey, I want to be a person who's going through this really harsh environment on foot because not many people or barely anybody at all have have had this experience and i want to have this experience um just by telling yourself why did you sign up i think that can get you back on track i think that can be the thing that actually changes your mindset for a second because we can all get into these moments where it's like woe is me you know like a little pity party that you're having um but sometimes it just takes a different thought on the other end of the spectrum there of like positivity uh, that, that draws you out of that funk that you may be in. And obviously, like I said, as an educator, impossible to possible is just such an amazing idea. And to give kids that opportunity to be in a leadership position and an educator position is so powerful. Uh, The best way to learn something is to go in and have to teach it, right? Like the best way to actually like embrace and and develop an idea in your brain is to try to figure out a way to 
teach it, explain it, uh, help educate someone else. And so I think through these expeditions, you know, obviously these kids are going out and having these amazing experiences, but I also think just having, having the opportunity to go out and educate other people about their experiences is probably when they kind of start embracing these lessons, um, which is so cool. And I just love that idea. So definitely support impossible to possible in any way you can. You can find it on Ray's website. Um, it's impossible. And then the number two possible. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and also I have to add, as an adventure film junkie uh, running the Sahara, I know I already said this, <laughs> but I'm going to say it again. Running the Sahara is one of the best uh, adventure documentaries, especially uh, ultra running expeditions. Um, like I said, man, it's it's funny. Like this is what Ray does is such a unique kind of arm of ultra running or whatever branch of ultra running that. Uh, it's that every day wake up, run 50 miles, and we're going to do that for months kind of thing that is staggering to even like think about if you think about it as a whole. Um, but if you watch the film, you know, it, it does a pretty good, it does an amazing job at actually breaking down step by step what it takes to do it. Um, and obviously, you know, it's a, hour and a half film and it's covering 111 days so there are all these other moments that we didn't get to see uh that you know ray got to experience but but you know it's running the entire sahara is so staggering it's so gigantic most people can't comprehend it but i think the film does a really good job at helping you kind of understand what it takes to do it and after you see what it takes to do it, you have an even greater respect for what they did because you're like, oh my goodness, like, would I be able to push through? Would I be able to keep doing this day after day after day? And there's parts where there's like, there's the unknown if they're actually going to be able to complete it based on factors outside of their control. Um, and it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's super good. So I highly recommend it. Um, if you get a chance to watch that, definitely do. Um, I wanted to talk about one more thing here. And it actually connected a little bit to Ray's journey um, when he was basically talking about, you know, living kind of a uh, that like hard partying lifestyle um, and then how he transformed from that to the adventurer you know, that he's been for the past nearly 20 years at this point. Um, and I, I want to relate it because I just read a book uh, by Brendan Leonard. Uh, he's the author of Semi-Rad. And if you, if you follow our podcast account here on Instagram, you'll know, like, I'm obsessed with Semi-Rad. I just printed some of his graphs off, the school-appropriate ones, uh, <laughs> and I printed them off and hung them up in my classrooms in prep preparation for... Um, restarting my leadership class next year, um, which would be super fun. But, uh, and I actually had Brendan and his friend Jason on the podcast like way back when. And Jason's been on a couple times and I've gone on a couple of runs with him, which has been super fun. Um, but I didn't, you know, 
I never realized his whole story. So, you know, you look at the semi-rad comics and they're awesome. They're super insightful, oftentimes hilarious, you know, really good observational humor about the outdoor adventure life and things like that. Um, but I was able to borrow his book called 60 meters to anywhere from my wife's stepbrother. And in his book, he talks about basically his college life, you know, getting into trouble, uh, partying too much, um, falling deep into alcoholism as like a 23 year old. Um, and it, it was this, it was so beautifully written and it was incredibly honest. It was such an incredibly honest account, uh, an authentic account of what he went through to go from that to a life where he discovered the outdoors and he discovered his love for rock climbing and and outdoor adventure and that path has changed his life and i think the part that to me was really powerful is he was talking about the very possibility that he could still be just a guy who never went after his dreams, who who always had these adventures in mind and would talk about them every night, you know, would talk about them to someone at the bar on Tuesday, like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Um, and then the next night on Wednesday, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And as someone and then he could have seen himself become somebody who never ended up doing that, who never ended up chasing his dreams. And that would have been the most kind of tragic thing that could have happened to him. And it's just, it's a beautiful account of someone going from, you know, kind of deep down in the hole to discovering this passion that he found for life and the world around him. And I just really connected with that idea. Like, we live in this beautiful world. There are amazing things happening around us all the time. Um, but you have to be perceptive to them. You have to actually like have your eyes open to those moments because otherwise you can get bogged down. And for me, moving my body in the outdoors, um, that opens my eyes to just how beautiful of a place that we have. So... Um, and how important it is to protect those places uh, that do that, that open your eyes to those moments. And I just thought it was wonderful. That book was called 60 Meters to Anywhere. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people have very similar stories. Um, and I just thought Brendan did a beautiful job, like opening opening up. I mean, you know, he's he put it all out there, man, and it's fantastic. So uh, I would highly recommend that book. Um, but yeah. Anywho, that's it for the week, guys. Uh, hope you all are having a beautiful week. Um, and yeah, we'll get back at you next week.